Hi, and welcome to Drug Bites, the new podcast by MedChutes. My name's Liam, and I'll be your host. Thank you for joining us on the first episode. Today, we'll be discussing antiemetics. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to check out the show notes, uh, it can be useful to have a look through them before the podcast, uh, or have a look through it while you're listening to the podcast. But if you don't have it in front of you, make sure you check it out after you've listened to try and put everything together. They're all free to download, so you can print them out, you can write your own notes on top of them, you can add them to your own collection as well. So, antiemetics. Antiemetics are very commonly used in the hospital and also in the community. They work through several different systems and they predominantly revolve around the vomiting center based in the medulla. So before we start off on the actual in-depth pharmacology, it's important to know a little bit about the system in general. So the vomiting center, as I mentioned, it sits in the medulla and it has four kind of main things that kind of feed into it. You have the vestibular system, which acts through histamine and muscarinic receptors. So that means histamine and acetylcholine. You have the chemoreceptor trigger zone, the CTZ. That's what kind of detects poisons and things in your blood. And that's how toxins and other things that get into your blood can make you feel sick. You have higher brainstem inputs, and that's also uh, via muscarinic receptors and acetylcholine, as well as GABA. And you also have the gastrointestinal vagal afferents, uh, mediated by dopamine and serotonin. So the gastrointestinal and vagal afferents, that's kind of like why people feel nauseous when they're having a vasovagal. So when people vasovagal, typically stimulation of the vagus nerve means they get bradycardic, hypotensive, all the blood drops from out of their face and they go pale and they'll typically get some nausea and occasionally vomiting because of that. And that's because of that pathway mediated by dopamine and serotonin. Uh, I didn't touch on it as well, but the vestibular system, that's the balance system. Uh, That's the system behind people getting seasick and travel sick or motion sick. It's why when you spin around really, really quickly, you start to feel nauseous as well. So as I mentioned, it's the main neurotransmitters involved in these processes are dopamine, uh, serotonin, histamine, and acetylcholine acting through their various receptors. From a pharmacokinetic perspective as well, vomiting and nausea can result in gastric stasis. So when you feel nauseous, your stomach actually stops emptying and it stops kind of moving and that can feed into almost like a positive feedback loop where you start to feel more nauseous because you've just got this big like lump sitting in your stomach essentially. It also means that you get poor oral absorption of drugs. So this is why a lot of drugs, uh, for example, for motion sickness, you have to, if you're taking it orally, you need to take it usually a significant period of time before you actually start the travel so usually about half an hour or so. That's so that it can get into the central nervous system as well and start acting centrally, but it's also because it gives it time to leave the stomach, uh, enter the small intestine, be absorbed, uh, and therefore once you start feeling nauseous and you get that gastric stasis happening, you you still get the, that the drug has already been absorbed, I guess. Often uh, people get sick though, they start feeling sick and they haven't taken a medication. So it's obviously you're a little bit too late to the party. They've already got that gastric stasis kind of state happening. You can overcome that using a pro-motility drug, and there's a few of those. We'll discuss them today, but that's why some drugs, some anti-nausea drugs, you'll see two or three of them prescribed at once, and that can be uh, because one or two of them is acting as a pro-motility agent 
to help the stomach empty um, and the drugs enter the small intestine. You may have also noticed that dopamine uh, and serotonin are some of the key kind of receptors and neurotransmitters that we're targeting in this system. And those are very important systems. For example, dopamine, if you block dopamine, you can get Parkinsonian kind of symptoms since Parkinson's is the uh, basically the absence and the antagonism of, dop- of uh, dopamine. So you, high doses of these drugs can have quite severe side effects. So another reason that we often use them in combination as well as the promotility effects is that it means that we can have a lower dose of each drug And if we use drugs from different classes, so for example, a dopamine antagonist and a serotonin antagonist, we can use both of those drugs at lower doses, and you're going to limit the side effects of each one as well because it's a lower dose. Okay, that's kind of the background behind it. Let's get into a few examples now. So, motion sickness. Acting through the vestibular system, it acts predominantly through histamine and muscarinic receptors. Because of that, you can imagine, we have things that block histamine and things that block uh, the muscarinic uh, receptors as well. So we have H1 histamine receptor antagonists. That's things like promethazine. The trade name for that is phenergan. It's generally pretty well tolerated. It does have some crossover and you can get some anti-muscarinic effects. So that's essentially anticholinergic effects. So things like dry mouth, dry eyes, and things like that. However, Those side effects are usually pretty well tolerated, and especially if people are feeling a little bit nauseated, they don't necessarily mind having a bit of a dry mouth, because often with nausea, they get very salivated, and that can kind of contribute to nauseous feelings. The main side effect, however, is actually drowsiness. Histamine in the brain and central nervous system has a really important role in maintaining wakefulness, and if you block those receptors, they actually start to get drowsy. So people often take H1 histamine receptor antagonists, um, so antihistamines, on going, they're going on flights and things like that uh, as a sleep aid as well as uh, kind of an anti-nausea aid. So having a main side effect of drowsiness is not necessarily a bad thing. If it means that you're going to sleep through the worst part of your nausea, that's a pretty good thing. However, it does mean that uh, people shouldn't really take it when they're doing things like driving or where wakefulness is really important. Your muscarinic antagonists are things like hyoscine hydrobromide. So there's another drug which we may talk about uh, a little bit in another episode um, called hyoscine butyl bromide. Butyl bromide helps uh, with kind of cramps and things like that in the in the abdomen. However, it is limited to the bowel. So the w- the way you can remember this is that hyoscine butyl bromide B for bowel. Um, whereas hyacin hydrobromide, it's similar, but it can cross through the intestinal wall and be absorbed and then enter the central nervous system. So butyl bromide works in the bowel, hydrobromide works in the central nervous system. Uh, It does have a similar side effect profile to promethazine, uh, but it does have less sleepiness because it's acting more on the muscarinic side of things than the histamine side of things. And because of that, you get more anti-muscarinic side effects. So then we move on to the chemoreceptor trigger zone, also like vagal nausea as well, but predominantly the CTZ because this is where a lot of people get sick from. This is why, you know, when people are septic and things like that, they get sick because of the effect of LPS and of uh, cytokines in the bloodstream, which can cross the chemoreceptor trigger zone because this kind of area of the brain, it's a little bit kind of outside the brain. And so it can detect things in the blood. There's less of a blood-brain barrier there. So things like drugs that people have taken, 
as I said, cytokines, inflammatory markers, uh, LPS, which is lipopolysaccharide, part of the, the cell wall of gram-negative bacteria. You also have things like chemotherapy and chemotherapeutic agents. All those kinds of things are what lead people to vomit via activation of the chemoreceptor trigger zone. That is mainly mediated by dopamine 2 receptors and, again, 5-HT3 receptors, which are serotonergic receptors. This is probably some of the more common classes of drugs that you'll see, particularly in the hospital. So your dopamine D2 receptor antagonists are things like metoclopramide. Metoclopramide has, is actually a very commonly used drug and also used in uh, conjunction with a lot of other antiemetics because it's one of those prokinetic agents I was talking about earlier. It's a prokinetic in the upper gut, so you use it in combination with other oral agents to increase its absorption. It is a dopamine receptor antagonist, which means if you block it, you essentially get Parkinsonian effects. So we call those extra pyramidal effects. It's renally excreted, and that's important. So if you've got a patient that has poor renal function, for example, if you've got a patient that's been vomiting for the last four or five days uh, and so has had a kind of a, a pre-renal acute kidney injury, then uh, you have to dose adjust metoclopramide so that you don't get an overdose of it. Our 5-HT3 receptor antagonists are things like ondansetron. For the most part, they're really well tolerated and have few side effects. They can sometimes cause a bit of dizziness, sometimes a bit of constipation. Ondansetron is very commonly used in emergency departments and things like that. Very rarely used is this class called neurokinin-1 receptor antagonists. So neurokinin-1 is involved in pain, actually. Neurokinin-1 is the receptor for substance P, which is released during uh, by nociceptive neurons, uh, so neurons involved in sensing pain. It's really only used to reduce chemotherapy-associated nausea. Chemotherapy can result in the release of substance P, and that's a strong driver of nausea. A preparatin is the, the drug that we use. It's really only used probably in oncology wards and things like that. And personally, I have never seen it charted. There's some other kind of drugs that we don't necessarily know their effect, but we know that they're really, really good at controlling nausea. So one of those is dexamethasone. It's very highly effective. Um, it's a steroid drug. Its mechanism of action is largely unknown, but often used post-surgery to help control inflammatory effects as well as help control nausea. The other one that's interesting is inhaling isopropyl alcohol swabs. This has gained a lot of traction in recent years, especially in ED departments and things like that, where it's actually been shown to be more efficacious than oral and dancitron. The reason for this is probably that nausea, as everyone who's experienced nausea will know, it's a waxing and waning condition. People don't kind of develop nausea slowly over a long period of time and then have it for half an hour, 45 minutes straight. Typically, it comes and goes, comes and goes. And really what you need to do is you need to give a drug or have some kind of intervention when you're starting to go up the peak to kind of dull the peak and bring it back down again straight away. When you give something like oral andansetron, it takes a long time to be absorbed. Really, you're not, they're not going to be seeing an effect for at least 15, 20 minutes or so, by which time they're probably already in the trough again of the nausea. Uh, so because of that, people kind of thought think it's efficacious because after taking the pill, they no longer feel sick, but it's often just because they've rode out the wave and they're now back in the trough where they no longer feel nauseous. 
Isopropyl alcohol swabs, they're really readily available, so you don't need to worry about nurses having to go into the drug room and, get, and doctors trying to prescribe and things like that. You can just uh, grab the cannulation tray and grab an alcohol swab out of it, and as they're starting to feel sick and gag and things like that, inhaling the isopropyl alcohol swab seems to have quite strong anti-emetic effects. It's quick, it's instantly efficacious, it helps to dull the peak and bring them back down to the trough so that they're no longer nauseous. And it's very cheap. It's very cheap for the system. Now it's time for the drug bites, the bite. This is going to be a quick rapid fire succession of the main drugs that we've talked about in this episode. So starting off, motion sickness. The main drug classes that we use are the H1 histamine blockers. That's pr uh, predominantly promethazine. There's also the muscarinic antagonists, such as hyacine hydrobromide. For more typical kind of nausea patterns, such as what we see in hospital, we'll typically use uh, something like metoclopramide, which is a dopamine D2 blocker, or ondansetron, which is a 5-HT3 serotonin receptor antagonist or blocker. Occasionally, we'll use things like aprepotent, which is a neurokinin 1 blocker, and that's really only in in cancer patients on chemotherapy. You may also see things like dexamethasone and isopropyl alcohol swabs used in places like the ED. Just a reminder as well, this is only some, the main kind of classes of drugs that are used for nausea medication. There are other things that you may see, including ones like stematil, uh, which is often used for BPPV, so benign paroxysmal positional vertigo, and that seems to have some antipsychotic, so anti-dopamine effects as well. But this is the main kind of ones that you'll see in a hospital setting. And that's the bite. That's all for today's podcast. In the show notes, there's some further readings, a few more resources, and there's also a link to the paper from which I cited as evidence for isopropyl alcohol swabs. If you are in a hospital setting, um, feel free to run it past an, a reg or something like that when you're in the ED and you see a patient that's nauseous. I've actually done it once um, with a patient that was in the CT scanner, uh, and as they started to kind of feel nauseous, chucked a swab underneath their nose, and it helped them uh, get better within a minute or two. It was really quite uh, amazing, uh, which allowed them to go and get the scan without any risk of them vomiting and aspirating. There's a lot of good resources online as well, and a few of the resources that are on the MedChutes website, so that's medchutes.wordpress.com. In the further resources, there's a, a bunch of sites, and one of those is emergency medicine cases. EM Cases has got some really good uh, information about anti-nausea drugs as well and their efficacy, uh, the role in evidence-based medicine. So I'd recommend checking them out. Thanks very much for listening. I hope this has been useful. Feel free to uh, send us any of your comments. Check us out. Our website is medshoots.wordpress.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, uh, please subscribe and leave us some good feedback. Uh, and hopefully you'll be hearing from us again soon. Thanks very much. Thank you.